Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Hello, everyone. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Did you did Santa bring you everything you wanted, Josh? Uh, sure. You know, I think everything I want when you get to, to this age, all you really want for Christmas is uh, to spend time with your family. This sounds very cliche, but uh, I think I can speak for every father that the excitement of Christmas has lived through their kids' eyes. And uh, we got to do that perfectly. Regardless of what COVID brought us, kids were still very happy. Excellent. It's actually a hall. I'm from Canada. It's actually a holiday there. And I still celebrate that even though I'm in the US. It's Boxing Day. Are you familiar with that? I am not. What is Boxing Day? I should know that. I feel very non-worldly in saying that, but I don't know. (laughs) A lot of people don't. So in England, they would, everyone would put their leftovers in a box and put it out on the front porch for the less fortunate. So it was Boxing Day. You put your leftovers in a box. So it has now changed to be Canada's biggest shopping day of the of the year, similar to the U.S. So, so, so Boxing Day is over. Leaving your leftovers for the homeless is over. But spending your money is back in. Exactly. Doesn't make that much Perfect. sense, does it? Anyway, yeah, it I take the sense. holiday. Yeah. I take the holiday, but I am working here. On, on a holiday here for the show. Fair enough. What advice do you Fair have enough. for those families uh, that have that member of the family, a black sheep, if you will, when it comes to family finances? You know, first of all, it's the holidays. So don't talk about finances at the holidays. But there are some things that I guess are kind of need to be addressed with black sheep. And we'll talk about specifically, because I could go any direction with this, Diane. But let's talk about specifically um when you're in the season of your life, when you're thinking about where you're going to pass your money when you pass away and how it goes to family members. If, if you're one of the fortunate people that has done planning accurately, you're always going to end up with a little bit of money left at the end of the end of the rainbow. And that money has to go somewhere. And if you're planning on leaving it to your family, uh, conversations that I have a lot is how do I do that, particularly if I have a black sheep, meaning uh, I have two children. One is perfect with money, great, successful. I know they're going to do the right thing. Uh, and cli- and uh, kid number two is not quite that way, meaning you're concerned that if you give them a windfall or a lump sum of money, while you're hoping that it will help them, it might do the exact opposite. Um, and, and I think there's some myths that go along with estate planning in general. Um, one would be uh, that you have to leave your money equally to your beneficiaries. You don't. Uh, You can absolutely and very often people leave different amounts of money to different kids. And also uh, they control that money that they leave to kids in different ways. I mean, if you think about it just simply, um, if you had a child that uh, had some sort of uh, ailment, handicap, um, you would want to make sure that potentially you left more money to that particular child to handle their medical needs, et cetera, for the rest of their life. So very oftentimes it is not level in the way that we leave money. The other thing that's, that's a myth is 
well, I got to decide if I'm going to leave 25% to one person and 75% to the other. That's the way I can unlevel it. Not necessarily the case either. You can actually leave 50% to one kid, 50% to the other, but the leveling is uneven in that one child gets his 50% or her 50% uh, up front, just lump sum because you know they'll do the right thing. And the other child, you want to build a legacy or some people will call it having control from the grave. You want to control how that money is spent so that it can't be frivolously spent and uh, you can kind of be a steward of your own money once you're gone. So you could decide that said child, second child gets X amount per month for the rest of their lives or however you want to indicate that. And the most important part there, Diane, is that you indicate your wishes and you revisit it often. So not only is it doable, but you can change your mind. And that's another myth is oftentimes people say, once I set this, well, then I, I got to put so much thought into this because when I said it, I can't change it. Not the case at all. Um, believe it or not, a lot of people get, you can imagine family members, that they'll, they'll get disinherited and reinherited and disinherited. I don't recommend that you do that constantly, but it does happen. Um, you can change it with very few exceptions. You can change how you leave your money to people, when you leave your money to people, uh, how they receive that money, and you can change things anytime you want. Just make sure that you're specific in your wishes. Make sure that you meet with either an attorney or the person that you're doing, uh, you know, your financial planning with. Make sure that it's worded correctly and that all of your accounts are set up appropriately because there's always that bad story of, I thought it was this way until, and then the wheels fall off the bus because it was not set up that way. So something we do every single year in my office when we're getting together and doing reviews is we just do a review of beneficiaries and how everybody's set up and is that the way that you want it to make sure that there's no surprises down the line. I'm still stuck on on the statement that you made that uh, people will give one child some uh, more than the other. H- how does that work ha- out? <laughs> I think yeah, that's what's going to happen to me in my family. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it happens all the time. You know, and I think, you know, we're really, your concern is addressing the, the sense of fairness. And many times it's very easy, even though it's uneven, to, to say that it's fair. Uh, let's use the example of, of somebody that has, you know, medical conditions or something that precludes them from me being able to uh, achieve the same things that you're able to achieve in life. I, I don't think anybody would feel tremendously awful about helping support one of your siblings that just is incapable of supporting himself. But I think what oftentimes happens is you'll have that one child that, you know, they're 50 years old and they just somehow figure out a way to screw up everything every single time and blame everybody for it and have not been good with money. And then you'll have uh, a child that's done everything right, become successful, and they're almost punished for it by not getting an equal amount. And that never sits well with that person. I'm personally not a huge advocate of that, but it happens all the time. And the unfortunate reality is I think the parents are trying to help that child, but as you can imagine it will breed a tremendous amount of animosity between the siblings. So if you're trying to, to have a situation where when you're gone, your kids get along, I wouldn't recommend leaving them disproportionate amounts of money based upon where they are in life. That usually doesn't play out that well. It's your money, do whatever you want. Uh, I've just been in this business a long time and seen the way that things play out. Maybe not the best idea. What about, or I heard that if you can write up your uh, wishes, that if anyone contests it, nobody gets anything. Is that true? Yeah, well, you're talking about specifically as a trust. So there's a bunch of different ways you can pass money. Uh, everybody knows of a will. And if you've done your planning right, very little should go through your will. A will goes through probate. There's costs associated with it. Um, you're leaving kind of the way that your money gets passed out to the hands of a judge. 
So you want to bypass that as much as you possibly can. And particularly in the midst of COVID here, probate is taking a really, really long time, as you can imagine, because we have the confines of COVID. The other way is to have beneficiaries assigned, or we'll just call them beneficiaries. There, there's different verbiage for it, but beneficiaries assigned all of your accounts. That should apply to your life insurance policies, annuities, 401ks, IRAs, et cetera. So that kind of goes right around. There's no contesting that necessarily. A trust, you can really get specific. Now, there's some upsides and downsides to a trust, but the one that you addressed was, I want to make sure that if anybody tries to contest my wishes, they're out altogether so that they have a very, uh, they've been warned up front, don't try and get any more money than I told you you should get. And you can absolutely do that with a trust. But again, there's pros and cons. Make sure you, you contact your attorney or speak with our office and we'll tell you some of those and, and get the right information to you. To learn strategies to manage risk and to schedule your own personalized planning session, give Josh's office a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. And you can hear Josh every Monday evening at 6 with Bruce Hooley on 98.9 The Answer for Money Mondays. And if you miss his visit with Bruce, you can listen to the podcast. You can find it at aptuswealth.com. Josh, sounds like one of the reasons someone might be the black sheep of the family might be because of, as you mentioned, their lack of responsibility when it comes to saving money. Are there archetypes of different kinds of savers? Well, I would say there's definitely different archetypes of of savers and spenders. But I think in general, if I was going to categorize those, and first let me say that this is a combination of a lot of things that I've read. There's, uh, we're not the only ones that have kind of thought this through. There's a lot of research on trying to figure out what types of people are out there, both for financial companies trying to acquire their business and also trying to understand what people are looking for and, and also trying to get people who aren't savers to become savers. So there's, there's a lot of research out on this, but uh, I'll take some of that research that I've read and combine it with my experience. I would say on one end of the spectrum, there are the optimists, and then there are the, uh, pes- the pessimists, uh, just in general in life. And then within those categories, you'll find different types of people. On the optimist side, you'll find people that are just optimistic about everything, even if they have no idea if they should be optimistic. And we call these kind of the, the uncertain optimistics or the optimistic dreamers, uh, if you want to call them that. And optimistic dreamers believe that regardless of what they do or what happens, everything is going to work out fine and they're going to live a great retirement. Obviously, that can be, you know, it's, it's open to some surprises and might not exactly play out. But then on the opposite side of the spectrum of those kind of dreamers or optimists or ones that don't do any planning, there's the uncertain strugglers, is what we call them. And the uncertain strugglers are the ones that believe that no matter what they do, it doesn't matter. Um, so they might as well not even look into it because it's not going to work out. Both of those, if you notice kind of the, the underlying theme there is, we don't really know. We don't know the answer whatsoever, um, but we're just going to take it, you know, take a crack at it. Um, and, you know, I know this isn't very apropos to say, but most of those people, statistically speaking, off of all the research that I've read, take most of their advice from friends, family, and most of them are unfortunately in the lower income category. So the ones that believe that things are either going to work out or not work out for no reason whatsoever, that they've, you know, no, nothing that they've done on their own, typically... Uh, They're not getting good advice, and they're not in an income category where they can recover quickly. On the opposite end of the spectrum are the purposeful planners. Um, And, you know, this is where you kind of see the separation of income level, unfortunately, is statistically speaking, they're the higher wage earners. Um, But they take a very purposeful approach to planning, making sure that their ducks are in a row, and usually have the highest success rate. And then in the middle, you know, there's kind of these other categories. And in the middle, there's what I would say the ambitious risk takers, 
that's usually in a finite period in our life. Uh, that's usually right in the early part of our life. Most of it's, uh, you know, men. There's a reason why we pay higher uh, car insurance rates. <laughs> you know, it's because when we're, when we're younger, we're willing to take more risk. And those definitely fall into a category. And the risk takers tend to kind of fade away as, as time goes on. And then those cautious preparers, we all know those, um, you know, the ones that uh, I think the term today is the preppers. They believe that the other shoe is going to drop, you know, arguably not a, a, a terrible strategy, otherwise, uh, although it doesn't sound like a very happy one all the time. Uh, most of these are the middle-aged men that maybe took too much risk in their younger years, and now they believe that that's a bad approach. But I think, you know, if you look at all of these categories, it points to one theme, and that is where would you be happiest? Because really, these, these different, the approach to finance, you know, they say money's the root of all evil, but at the same time, it's a necessary evil. Where would you be happiest operating? Would it be just hoping for the best, but not having a clue as to whether or not that's going to happen? Would it be just automatically surmising that the worst is going to happen and just waiting for the shoe to drop? Would it be uh, just shoot for the fences, and if you miss, well, I'll cross that bridge when I get there? Or would it be purposeful planning where you have a predictable outcome and you know as long as you do these things, you'll be okay? Um, and believe it or not, uh, as far as happiness goes in all of these research studies, happiness always points to purposeful planning coupled with optimism, which shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. But I think the takeaway and what I'm getting at in, in answering this question is make sure that you remain optimistic because we've all talked to that person who constantly just poo-poos everything you say, right? You say, well, if you start saving, you'll be good. Well, you know the government's going to do blah, 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 and they just ruin. I mean, you can't tell them anything good. You know, hey, here's a free hundred bucks. You want it? Well, I'm just going to have to pay taxes on it. Well, that's exhausting and just a <laughs> terrible way to live. So, you know, make sure you're optimistic, but at the same time, don't be irrationally euphoric about the fact that things are just all going to work out. You have to take some sort of plan uh, into account because things don't always play out roses and teddy bears every single time. So if you were going to ask me my advice on what the best approach is, get advice from people who are in the, the industry. Listen to professionals, not your family. You can consult your family, of course, but don't take uh, all of your investment advice from your family members necessarily. And then be optimistic but disciplined in your approach. And uh, things will work out for the better, and you'll also be happier whether you're a spender or a saver. It gives you a guideline to go off of. To schedule your own personalized, purposeful planning session, give Josh's office a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Don't forget to catch Josh every Monday afternoon at 6 p.m. with Bruce Hooley on 98.9 The Answer for Money Mondays. We'll be back after the break. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Speaking of giving, we are coming up to the end of the year. It is the season of giving. 
Are there any incentives, Josh, for people to make charitable uh, donations before the calendar flips flips to the new year? There is. There's one big one that I think everybody could could really participate in, or at least most people can participate in, and that is the charitable deduction for 2020 of $300. So if you make a cash donation of $300, you get that, write that off directly in your tax return. Now, the benefit to that is, you know, this is nothing new. People say, you know, you can write off uh, donations anyway, but it had to go on your itemized deductions. And since the, uh, the changes under the Trump administration and the increase in the standard deduction, only about 10% of the U.S. population actually itemizes their deductions. And if you look at, you know, most of my demographic in, in my category is in that pre-retiree and retired category, that percentage goes down even lower and lower as houses start to become paid off and mortgages become smaller. So this is actually deductible regardless of whether you itemize or not. So if you don't itemize, you can still take the $300. It is a $300 direct deduction off of your gross income, which is better than an itemized deduction because you don't have to exceed anything to get there. You just get it. So highly recommend, you know, if you're if you're already giving, you can write off the deduction. If you're not, if you haven't given and uh, you're in that fortunate category who has not been displaced uh, from their workplace as a result of COVID, uh, try and think of being a little bit uh, charitable this season and, and give some money. Um, this does apply too, Diane. A lot of clients that I have already give the money. They just don't get the deduction anymore because they're out of that standard deduction. And well, kudos to you. Now this year you actually get to claim it. The other one, and, and you know, as far as charitable giving goes, that's uh, certainly rare. So I'll throw that right out of the gate. Is you can actually donate and get right off a hundred percent of your income this year. So if you're one of those people that wants to give a hundred percent of your income, you can do it and write off the whole dollar amount. And it used to be limited to 60. Now, I have very few people in this category, but I'll tell you where it applies sometimes. Um, I have some clients that are living off of Roth IRAs and uh, just money in the bank and have very low expenses because everything's paid off. But they still go work a part-time job to keep themselves busy. They say, well, I'm just, I don't want to pay taxes, so I'll just donate my entire salary from what I do for work because I don't need it. Aww. Well, now they can do that. Again, very great, right? I mean, that's the ideal scenario, but... Uh, rare, but you can do it. Uh, those are the two big charitable donations uh, that you can pull off in 2020 that you couldn't do in previous years. So if those apply to you, by all means, uh, get to it before the end of the year because those money, those checks have to be cut before January 1 to take credit for them uh, when you fill out your taxes in 2021. Did you ever find out, Josh, if married couples can double that? Well, you know, there's still some debate on that, but it looks as though... Uh, pretty definitively, as I look at multiple sources of, you know, if you look online, there's there's people or, in, or industries or institutions that kind of uh, uh, try and dissect what the uh, blubbery that the tax code is to determine how they're going to, you know, they're going to interpret it because there's some great uh, speak in the tax code. And it looks like the answer is no. Uh, we thought you might be able to double dip on that married couple filing jointly could do 600 as opposed to 300. But it appears the answer is no. Now, I say appears because, you know, I've seen it written a couple of different ways, but reliable sources seem to have interpreted that as no. To learn strategies to manage risk, if you'd like to schedule your own planning session with Josh, the number to call is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. Josh, you mentioned in the past that people do not need to take the required minimum distributions this year because of the CARES Act. But is that something that everybody should do? Uh, not necessarily. So first, required minimum distributions is that time in your life when you have to take money out of your IRAs. It used to be that you had to start that process when you were 70 and a half. 
Now you don't have to take them until you're 72. But regardless of when you had to start taking your minimum required distributions, they are an option this year. And remember that minimum required distribution is an amount that you have to take out of your IRAs or qualified plans that you have not paid taxes on yet that will in fact go into your taxable category. So there's two kind of approaches to this is should I take it and pay the taxes this year or should I kick the can and worry about it next year and let that money continue to grow without getting taxes on it? One ideology would be that uh, as we're in a, a season where we're switching the guard in the White House, and it appears as though for certain categories, taxes will be going up, that maybe I should take that minimum required distribution this year, pay the lower tax rate on it versus taking it potentially next year or the year following when uh, those taxes could go up. There's other, there's other things to consider, though. Uh, what if you're in a low income tax bracket this year? Just because of the way your income fell, uh, should you take it this year versus next year if you know that next year is going to be a higher earning year for you or vice versa? That could be a determining factor in when you take it. The other would be Medicare planning. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but you're, you pay your premium for Medicare based upon your income. So um, sometimes if you take two minimum required distributions in one year or twice as amount or your minimum distribution climbs, that might kick you up into a category where you have to pay more for Medicare in the future. So it might make sense to either take or not take your minimum required distribution this year so that you avoid your Medicare premiums going up. And then there's a, and I promise there's a, there's a solution to this at the end because it already seems like it's getting very complicated, right, Diane? But the other uh, consideration is, should I take the minimum required distribution this year, even though we can't even call it a minimum required distribution because we don't have to take it. Should I take some money out of my IRA this year, even though I don't have to, and convert that to a Roth IRA? And remember, the ideology behind converting to a Roth IRA is I put the money into a Roth IRA after I pay taxes on it. It grows tax-free, and every dollar I pull out of my Roth IRA, as long as I hold it there for five years, is tax-free to me and my beneficiaries forever. So if you think about money doubling every 10 years at 7.2%, if you take that money out 20 years from now, you've got three times as much, four times as much money. So three times of what you have in there is in gains. It's all tax-free. So doing Roth conversions this year is something you should really, really take a close look at because in future years, you might not be able to do those because one caveat to minimum required distributions is when they're actually coded as RMDs or required minimum distributions, you cannot convert those to a Roth. But because this year we don't have to take it, it is just considered a regular distribution, which means we can do that conversion. So there's a few things to consider. Tax rates, uh, does it make more sense to take it now or later? Medicare premiums, will it affect them if I wait or if I take it this year? And then should I take one to do a Roth conversion based upon the things that I just mentioned? Does it, if I'm going to take it and not use it, doing a Roth conversion could be hugely advantageous. Now, all those things sound incredibly complicated, Diane. It seems like it's a lot of moving parts, and I want to make sure I don't screw up. So I have two choices, right? I can just be a, uh, uh, what do we call it, an optimistic dreamer and say, oh, it'll probably work out. I'll take it anyway. Or I can just be the eternal pessimist <laughs> and, and figure, what's the point? It's just going to ruin it. The, the planning is, is actually quite simple uh, when you do it every day. So if you have any concerns or questions about this, reach out to our office. We'll walk you through kind of your scenario a little bit and give you some sound advice on what you should do in particular as it relates to not having to take a required minimum distribution for 2020.
And the number to call is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. You'd mentioned the new administration coming in. What do you expect uh, other changes to happen that, that we, uh, from what we currently have? Well, the big ones, you know, the Biden administration has run on and very clearly stated a couple of things that they want to do. One being taxes on folks over $400,000 a year will go up. So if you're in that fortunate category, uh, your taxes should go up if everything goes according to plan. Secondly, um, the way that your income will be taxed as it relates to Social Security is going to significantly change. Right now, and again, this is if everything goes according to the way the platform was that he ran on, if you make more than approximately $100,000 a year, the additional money that you make right now is not taxed via Social Security, meaning that percentage that you and your employer pay into Social Security effectively stops. So oftentimes I'll get calls from clients and say, hey, my paycheck just went up, and I don't really know why. It's because that Social Security tax went off. They had already exceeded that $130,000 mark. When Biden uh, was running, he said he wanted to raise that to 250000 So for a lot of folks, your taxes between 130 and 250 just went up by about 6.5%. It's a significant increase. Um, then there's a donut hole between 250000 and 400000 and then it goes back up again. So again, if you're in that fortunate category where, let's say you make 600000 you will see, particularly if you're a business owner, you could see your taxes going up quite dramatically. The remainder of the uh, tax choices or tax decisions were pretty, let's say, vague, to say the least. So we don't know exactly what else is, at least not in the confines of the show, to dive in deep, exactly what else is going to happen. We've been, he's talked about going back to the, uh, an older version of the way that alternative minimum tax was going to be calculated, but I don't know exactly how yet. So there's a lot still yet to be seen, Diane, but uh, two big ones are Social Security and income tax rates are going to go up. Do you think anything, any of the tax changes that the current administration implemented are going to stay, or do you think it's going to be completely revamped? Well, I think it'll be revamped. I think it'll look a lot closer to the Obama administration. Uh, obviously, there's a lot, if you've seen these uh, you know, stimulus packages, there's a lot of volleying back and forth as to we want this and no, we want this, and there's compromise somewhere in the middle. But I believe that that ultimate compromise will look a lot closer to the Obama administration. Um, there's also some really, I don't want to say scary, but significant changes that if approved the way it was proposed on his website and his campaign trail uh, could really, really negatively affect estate planning in the way of the elimination of step-up and basis. And again, these are very, uh, there's many people listening right now that are going, yes, yes, I totally understand that. And there's another people, there's a, there's a whole other uh, group of people that are saying, I have no idea what Josh is talking about. So I don't want to dive too deep in without context. But uh, just know that estate planning could change dramatically uh, as well and how you leave money to your kids or your beneficiaries, whoever they might be. To schedule your own personalized planning session, and I love the fact that you work with um, tax accountants as well, Josh, so you're like a one-stop shop and and can refer um, people to um, get their taxes taken a look at. Your office number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. And you can hear Josh every Monday evening at 6 p.m. with Bruce Hooley on 98.9 The Answer for Money Mondays. If you miss his visit with Bruce, you can listen to the podcast, which you can find at aptuswealth.com. We'll be back after the break.
Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, early in the show, we talked about required minimum distributions and charitable contributions before the end of 2020. Are there any other year-end items that people should look at or address, especially when it comes to the CARES Act? Well, the CARES Act did a lot of things. Obviously, unemployment benefits, the suspension of federal student loan payments. We had a huge reduction or elimination, essentially, in the penalty as it, is, as it relates to your 401k or IRA distributions if you're under the age of 59 and a half. And a lot of those things were very much necessary. I mean, many people were displaced from work. Uh, financial times got difficult. Uh, unemployment benefits certainly helped with that. And so did the ability for people to take withdrawal from their qualified plan. Matter of fact, that withdrawal from your qualified plan could be up to $100,000 And the huge benefit, or at least I think the huge benefit of that withdrawal is you get to defer your tax payments over three years, meaning if you took $90,000 out of your 401k, you only have to pay taxes on $30,000 for this year, $30,000 for the following, et cetera. And if you can imagine we have a graduated tax system in this country, if all $100,000 was slapped onto one year, it could be a huge tax burden, uh, meaning that you jump a bracket, so you're paying you know, 22 or 24% as opposed to 12. But the ability to just use a third of it for this year for many people will keep them in a much lower tax bracket. So that's the advantage. The huge disadvantage, Diane, is that if you think about when people took this money, they were in a very difficult spot. Otherwise, you wouldn't liquidate money from your retirement plans. Um, There was no requirement for the retirement plan to hold back the quote-unquote appropriate amount of taxes. It was a hardship withdrawal, and in hardship withdrawals, You take the money and you tell the company that's relinquishing the money if, in fact, you want taxes withheld. So if you didn't have taxes withheld, how are you going to pay them? Let's hope that you got another job back, et cetera. But now you have a significant bill, at least 10%. There's no bracket lower than 10% in our tax code. So if you took $30,000 out uh, or you took that $90,000 out, sure, only $30,000 is taxable this year. But the tax bill is going to be somewhere between, you know, 10 and 20 some odd percent. So let's just say on average, it's a $4,000, three to $5,000 tax bill. Where's that money going to come from? And that's a huge concern that I have and one that uh, I really wish uh, would have required a little bit more planning or the government would have had a little bit more regulation on because I think that's going to put some people in a very difficult spot and it's going to put them in a difficult spot. Uh, to the tune of now I have to take more money out of my retirement plan to pay for the tax liability. And now maybe that 10% penalty-free amount is no longer there, meaning will I still be allowed to do that under the age of 59 and a half without a penalty? So the reason I tell you that long explanation is because if you've taken that money out and you have no way of paying the taxes, you have until the end of this year to develop a plan potentially to pay for those without facing that 10% excise tax, assuming that they don't continue that provision into 2021, which they very may very well do, but we just don't know. So that's one challenge. The other challenge is unemployment benefits. Unemployment benefits are, in fact, taxable. 
Did most people have those benefits taxed? No. So at some point, that tax bill is going to come due. So I'm very concerned, Diane, about the tax, let's call it time bomb, that's going to hit a lot of folks in April of 2021. And I think some planning can be done, and we can certainly navigate that to the best of our ability. Um, But you need to do that planning, or it could come back and bite you pretty significantly. The other thing is, I don't think um, maybe enough credence was paid to other avenues and options of getting money. And there's a lot of reasons for this, uh, but, you know, zero interest credit cards, obviously it doesn't cost you anything. You don't pay taxes on a loan to pay it back. Am I advocating going and getting a bunch of credit card debt? Of course not, but I'm comparing the lesser of two evils. Do I take money out of my 401k, which will, you know, or or IRA, which in turn, uh, as a distribution, I'll have to turn around and put that money back in. And I've lost all the compounding and gains and interest over the long run. And we've already covered how important time is when it comes to retirement planning. Well, you've just taken all that time away and you have to pay taxes on it. If I could get a zero interest credit card for a short term cushion, would that be a value? Knowing that I can turn around and pay it back with my IRA money, should I have to? In other words, let's let's do this for six months. If it doesn't work and I still don't find a job, well, then I maybe that introductory rate goes away. Then I'll use my money out of my 401k. That would have been an option. Uh, the other thing is, if things really get that bad, depending upon the state that you're in, but here in Ohio and, you know, first consultant, attorney, et cetera, um, IRA and 401k assets are protected in the event of bankruptcy. So if things are really looking dire and bad for you, quite frankly, you're better off having credit card debt in a bankruptcy than you are having no IRA assets and no credit card debt because you get to walk away with your IRA assets large in part. So just things to consider. If If you're in that position, there is some planning that still needs to be done. Just don't start grabbing for straws carefully, purposefully plan, right? Carefully analyze your situation to find out the best course of action. With COVID happening, do you think the government's going to supply any relief if it comes to, if, if we have these huge tax bills come April? Uh, I think they will, but obviously that'll come with some animosity. Um, you know, what I mean by that is it's a level of fairness. So I, I take money out of my, and this is, I'm just hypothetically saying, I take money out of my IRA Um, because I need the money to live on and I've saved well and I don't need any sort of emergency relief and I have to pay taxes on it. And in turn, you took money out of yours and you didn't have to pay taxes on yours because you didn't plan well. Um, I I don't know how that will be dealt with. I think the answer will be somewhere in the middle. I don't know that it'll be 100% relief. Could I see that relief coming? Potentially. But don't plan on it definitively because we just don't know. Uh, but I think there's a lot of a lot of things that are still going to play out as a result of COVID. It looks like we've struck a deal uh, late on Sunday night as to what the next quote unquote stimulus package is going to be. Obviously, I haven't read through all the details on it. I don't know that they're even out to read, but um, I think there's a lot that's still yet to unfold. I was going to ask you about that next with the relief package. So, uh, you know, part of the population is like, excellent, we have help. And the other part of the population is like, great, how are we going to pay for this again? Yeah, well, I think both both sides of the equation are right. You know, there are a tremendous amount of people, I mean, that are displaced from work. I've seen figures, you know, 900,000 people a week or something crazy like that are are, uh, being displaced from their jobs. And now, you know, there's some concern about after January 1, uh, another lockdown. I I saw that there was another strain, quote unquote, potentially that's coming out of England and we're suspending flights. 
So would that be a more aggressive strain? And does that throw another, maybe the vaccine doesn't work now, it throws another uh, wrench in the mix. Um, I think the fear of lockdown is really high because that would displace a tremendous amount of more people. But the concern about, you know, the constant printing of money to supply programs um, and then giving relief, 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 relief. Um, you know, when does, where is the end of that line before we just simply can't do it anymore? And I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I think both sides have, uh, their concerns are very valid and how we handle them from here will have a very long-term impact on our economy. Very long. You know, I think we'll be talking about the impact of this similarly to the way we talked about the impact of the housing crisis back in uh, 08, 09, similar to the way we talked about the dot-com crisis. The difference being our debt position is dramatically higher and our GDP is grow is uh, shrinking dramatically. So these weren't bubbles. This is systemic, which is uh, a little bit bigger of a problem. But let, let's hope that uh, the people at the helm steer the boat the right way and we're uh, all better for it. To learn strategies to manage risk and to schedule your own planning session, give Josh's office a call. The number is 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. I know we talked a little bit about this, for, but for those listeners that didn't hear this, when the government prints more money, what kind of effect does that have on the country? And how long does it take to feel that? Yeah, there's, there's two ways to look at this. And I have this conversation probably about 50 times a day. I uh, had it this morning. If we look at this kind of on a small scale, the argument is this. If we continually print money, that increases the supply of money. When you increase the supply of something and demand remains the same, then the value of that goes down. So that thought would say that the more that we print money, the more that our money goes down in value, or as we define it, inflation goes up. In other words, our purchasing power becomes eroded. And that's been going on for a really long time. Now, we in turn borrow money to pay back our debts and then print money to pay back our debts. And that is kind of akin to taking a credit card out, using, getting another credit card to pay your bill on one credit card, taking out another credit card, and this turns into this daisy chain of, of uh, credit card debt. And you would think at some point the credit agencies would track this down, the credit card companies would all kind of look at this and say, all right, enough. And then the bill becomes due. And that's the big fear is when does this finally hit a tipping point where our debtors and the printing of money has reached a point where either inflation is too high or there's a call on our debt and interest rates are too high for us to pay them back. Now, that's, that's a very legitimate fear, one that I'm concerned with, that could happen. But there's another side of that, of that coin, and that is currencies around the world are all intertwined. So you have Japan has money, China has money, and they have their own currency. If our currency relative to their currency remains strong, then there is theoretically a way to dodge this. And we've done that essentially. I, I don't know how you say it other than while our currency hasn't been great, it's been greater than the ungreats. <laughs> so uh, we've, we've looked pretty strong in that our correlation of buying goods from around the globe has stayed strong. Now, I've listened to economists from Jeremy Siegel, who you can look him up. He's at the Wharton School of Business, uh, widely regarded as one of the, you know, the, the Academy of Smart People, as I called him. I mean, one of his books was uh, coded by the Wall Street Journal as the number one read in, uh, in uh, economic theory in the history of the world. 
to other people, you know, Peter Schiff, and the list kind of goes on of all these different economists, and nobody seems to be able to agree on what the best course of action is and how it will all play out. So I don't know the answer, Diane, but um, you have to play it cautiously when you're investing in the market, but you also have to recognize that one of those byproducts would be inflation, and we have to be prepared for that too, which means we can't put all our money under the mattress. We can't just simply buy gold. There's a lot of things that we have to take into account to make sure your retirement is secure. If anyone has questions, if you'd like to see how Josh's Aptis blueprint process can work for you, the number to call is 614-364-7300. Again, 614-364-7300. Just want to give you a gentle reminder that you can hear Josh every Monday evening at 6 with Bruce Hooley for Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. More of the Aptis Blueprint Retirement Show with Josh Pick when we come back next. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, lots of people out there can feel like they've won the lottery during the holiday season after generous gifts from family and friends. Do you have advice for those who hit it big with gifts or or actually win the lottery? Well, we all know the stories, right? Uh, lottery winners on average, no matter what the amount is that they win, whether it's $10 or $10 billion, the money doesn't last very long. Um, it lasts, I think, the, the stats I've seen is less than two years. I've seen between 18 months and two years. The answer should always be the same, whether you get a windfall from an inheritance, windfall from a gift, windfall from the lottery. First, take time. Second, I know this is going to come as a complete shock for me, but plan. Uh, and, and slow down. Just try and slow the process down. The biggest challenge to receiving a windfall is, first, spending money is a lot of fun. Uh, where all of us are susceptible to that. Oh, I'm, uh, certainly a, I'm a pro at that. Uh, yeah, I think we all are. And I, and I think to say that you're not uh, is, for the most part, for most people, uh, you're fooling yourselves. I've never met anybody that's come into my office that said, I wish I didn't have any more money, ever. And I've never met anybody that said, ah, there's nothing I could come up with that I wouldn't mind buying if I had an extra $10 million. There's always something. Some are more extravagant than others, but there's always something. And the problem with winning the lottery and coming right out of the gate or receiving this windfall is twofold. One, it's easy to to see that amount of money as how could I possibly ever blow through that? Well, trust me, you can. I don't care what the amount of money is. And two, in the process of doing that, you become very accustomed and used used to spending like that. And that can come crashing down. There is nothing worse than living, well, living poor is not fun. But living poor and then living rich for a period of time and then going back to poor is arguably less fun. And I've seen that happen a lot. 
The other thing they don't tell you is suicide rates amongst windfall recipients is also significantly higher than regular people. And that's just because of that reason, because living that life of affluence for a short period of time and then coming crashing back down is a terrible, terrible thing to experience. So slow down, plan, create a, a, a plan where you know that you can continue to live on a similar amount of money for a long, long period of time so you don't have this giant sine wave of went from here to way up here to back down there. You know, it's you don't want to go from a rusty uh, 1988 Accord to a Ferrari back to a 79 you know, Pinto. I mean, you got to yeah, kind of land in the middle hurts. somewhere. <laughs> it hurts. It hurts, right? Um, so number one, slow down, take time, find somebody that you trust. And not only that you trust, but is in the business of understanding how to handle these things. Not, uh, I know this uh, person who's always seems to be pretty good with money. Uh, and I'm going to go to them because I trust them. That's a good place to start. But depending upon that windfall, a lot of people aren't equipped to, th to handle that. I mean, it, for example, if you won $10 million, a lot of financial planners would be very blown away as to what to do with that amount of money because they don't see clients with that dollar amount very often. How do we handle taxes? How do we handle charitable giving? How do we uh, protect that money from creditors? Uh, because, you know, if it's public, believe me, people will start flying out of the woodwork. How do we handle this in a way that maybe not everybody knows, which involves trusts or who receives, if it is a lottery winning, who goes and collects the lottery winning so that it's maybe not public knowledge. I've already and the got list that goes planned on out. and on and on. You, you got to put, well, then you're ready. Yes, you just gotta, I'm ready. Odds are you'll have fun. Go play the ticket. So I already have that planned out, Josh. So you can be anonymous if you do your LLC in Delaware or Nevada. Correct. So that's what I'm going to do. And then I'll pay you to go pick it okay. up and deal with the media. <laughs> Fair enough. And I won't let, I think the huge problem is letting your family know and friends. For sure. And unfortunately, certain states don't let you collect it as an anonymous LLC. Certain half, certain states require that you collect it individually. Um, and I don't, quite frankly, I don't know if Ohio is one of those or not. But yeah, you're right. It's, uh, it's an incredibly challenging thing. And I've seen both sides. I've had some lottery winners, uh, so what I would consider to be significant lottery winners. I actually had a game show winner. Um, and by significant, I mean more than a million dollars, uh, very, very significant lottery winners. And, uh, I've seen the way that it plays out. And if you don't handle it correctly, uh, I've had a couple of them say that winning that amount of money was the worst thing that ever mm -hmm. happened to them. I bet. So be very careful. Take your time. Be cautious. Solicit good advice from trusted people in the business of managing money and attorneys, et cetera. And then go from there. And it should be a huge benefit to your life, not a detriment. So let's make sure that that's the way that it goes. With the psychology of winning and your family and friends and strangers coming out of the woodwork and everyone finally being nice to you <laughs> after you win, <laughs> do you find that with your clients as well, um, that they earn a lot of money and they do have difficulty with that with family or friends always kind of coming at them? Because I know actually... I know people that will actually stay in a, in a humble home when they can afford a much bigger place, but they don't want everyone to know that they have all this. And they'll yeah, buy a I mean, second I, I, home that is more kind of aligned with what their income is <laughs> in a different state um, so that nobody they really know knows that. Incredibly common, Diane, for exactly the reasons you just said. You know, challenges, we all face challenges, but they're different challenges. You know, you hear the old adage, right? More money, more problems, right? 
Well, I mean, certainly I'd, I'd rather have the problems of affluence versus the problems of poverty. So I don't want to make it sound like, you know, your life's so difficult when you're living in your, in your mansion. Certainly not the case. But the problems are still there. They're different. And unfortunately, sometimes that can cause, and this, I've heard this from many, many clients, it can cause friendships to go sour. Uh, it can cause people to hang out with people in their socioeconomic status, not because they want to, but because they feel like they have to because that tension is high. Um, it can cause people to live a life of modesty around certain friends and then have, you know, an unbelievable property, you know, in Florida or California somewhere that they go and visit. Um, so everything that you say is, is correct. And it's unfortunate, but that's why if you plan correctly, and, and I know I sound like a broken record when I say this, but let's be purposeful in our planning and address all these ha things head on. There's nothing worse than being shocked by these without a logical answer. And, and obviously the way that you acquire the money changes things a little bit, whether it was for, you know, hard work in a business or you just, you know, inherited it or, or won it. That can have different perceptive type qualities to it. But uh, the more purposeful you are, the more you can mitigate or minimize a lot of those challenges. But you're right. Sometimes you can't you can't avoid all of them, but we'll do the best that we can. So if you win the lottery and get a, get gifted a whole bunch of money, definitely give Josh's office a call. 614 And don't tell anybody yet. Don't, right? tell Don't tell anybody. anybody right out of the way. Exactly. And if you look at it where you're excited, you want to tell someone, you want to spend a little bit of it, you can make that money last for future generations rather than eat it all up and, and make some complicated or some silly uh, mistakes where you lose it. The number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Just want to remind you, you can hear Josh every Monday at 6 p.m. with Bruce Hooley for Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. So less than a week until the new year, I thought it'd be a great way to end our last show of the year by asking, do you have advice for those thinking about making financial New Year's resolutions this coming week? Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna come up with anything super new or revolutionary. I'm gonna address the the same way that I think everybody should make goals. Buy lottery tickets. No different since we were just talking yeah. about it. <laughs> well, you know, if you want to take a certain percentage of your salary and buy lottery tickets and hope for the best, feel free. But for the rest of it, uh, let's be very pragmatic and practical and planning with it. But I think with every goal, number one, it needs to be very specific. So you can't say this year I'm gonna get better with money. Because that doesn't mean a darn thing. Um, you have to be specific. This year, I'm going to save X dollars per month and pay off X credit card. That's very specific. Uh, number two, don't be overly lofty with that specificity. Meaning, um, you know, it took you 10 years to acquire $100,000 worth of credit card debt. This year, I'm going to pay it off. Well, if, if you make a goal that's completely unattainable, that would be like me saying, this year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start working out and win the Mr. Olympia. Uh, probably not. Um, it takes a long, long time to achieve something like that. Uh, I'm just not going to be able to pull it off. So do some planning, do some real number crunching and say, realistically, if I stay disciplined and I do these things, I will be able to pay off this by X period of time. And then uh, for me, at least, um, relish in your victories. So uh, put down time frames. At the end of first quarter, I'm going to achieve this. At the end of second quarter, I'm going to achieve this. Because a year is a really long time. So, yes, you can have an annual goal, but break it down into segments. So once a quarter, you actually feel good about your accomplishment and maybe even come up with a reward for that. You know, it doesn't have to be all, you know, what do they call it, tightening the belt and uh, just being miserable for the next 12 months. Let's, let's make it reasonable, but make it an accomplishment and feel happy about it. 
And then, you know, the big one is write it down. That's with every goal, whether you're working out or dieting or trying to improve whatever it is you're trying to prove. Write down these measurable goals. There, I can't remember the, the percentage, but it's an astronomically different percentage chance of you actually um, accomplishing your goal if you write it down. And then for some people, this helps. For me, it helps. I, I tell my wife so she can hold me accountable for it. Now, maybe that will be the kiss of death for certain people, but uh, for me, uh, she'll never have to remind me because I will do it because I don't want her to remind me. So if I tell her I know it's game on, I have to do it. I just have to because I don't want that that look of uh, disappointment when I don't. So uh, whatever works for you, uh, whether it's your wife or something else, figure out a way to make sure you're accountable to that. So measurable, relish in that accomplishment, be specific. Um, write it down, and then make sure you figure out some way to help that little nudge, that little kick in the butt to be accountable. I like that. I like that. For those of us, or I mean some people out there, that maybe spent too much on Christmas gifts and they're in a little bit of debt, do you advise paying your debt down first or do you pay it down as well as save? I think you should do both. Um, and that's that's not the financial right answer when it comes to doing the actual math. Clearly, if you're paying a really high rate on your credit cards, Um, It makes more sense on paper to pay those off before you start saving. That said, um, you want to get in habits. And I'm very, uh, I'm a big believer in momentum. So in in line with that, here's the way that you handle momentum. One, I'm going to start saving money. That money starts earning money. Momentum is starting to build. Number two, you look at your credit cards. You have three of them. Pick the smallest one. Pay it off. It might not even be the best interest rate. It might be the lower interest rate, but if it's, uh, there is a huge power of momentum that I paid that one off. Now I'm moving to the next one. Now I'm moving to the next one. Um, and clearly we have to do some balancing between interest rates on credit cards, for example, and that momentum, but huge believer in both huge believer in, uh, small accomplishments and building momentum, uh, quickly. So, uh, that would be my biggest advice is, uh, start and don't stop and build momentum. The number to call if you have questions or you would like to schedule your own personalized planning session, see how the Aptus Blueprint process can work for you, the number is 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. And a reminder, you can hear Josh every Monday at 6 with Bruce Hooley for Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. Everyone have a great New Year's. Stay safe and be healthy. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint radio show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company.